0: Welcome to a hot and sweaty edition of the Celtics Lab podcast. I'm your host, Cameron tulley joined as always by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn, where it is hot and humid in the city of Boston, but the Celtics are nonetheless welcoming a new coach. We're going to get into the Junaid welcoming press conference, some news around the margins, and then for the lab portion of programming, we are going to welcome in a special guest, Anna Horford, the younger sister of the Al Horford. So Al Horford is the godfather. She is somewhere next in line to become the next Godfather. but Anna will join us later to talk about all sorts of things related to the celtics related to being related to a basketball player and maybe some of the other stuff happening around the league but first Alex and Justin let's talk about this Iman udoka opening press conference i'll just say my takeaway is holy hell udoka looks so good in the suit that man is built like a tree and Whatever suit he was wearing to that press conference left nothing to the imagination, and I think a lot of fans are pretty happy with that. Uh, the Celtics remain the sexiest team in the NBA, no doubt about that. Alex, maybe that was your takeaway, too. What was your takeaway from the Adoka press conference?
1: Uh, I'm always going to have positive things to say about uh, how you made looks on a camera in a suit, wherever um, From the press conference, I have to say it this guy seems like he has a real energy about him. I really came away from that press conference feeling great. Um, he was incredibly uh, complimentary of Jason and Jalen while also making it clear that he was not there to baby them, that he was going to be kind of on their ass, as he said, about um, you know making them into the players that they could be. And it seems to me, based on the press conference, that Uh, He really believes in those two as the core pillars of a title team, which was very nice to hear as a Celtics fan that just has so much love for both of those guys. So that was awesome. I also appreciate that he kind of razzed Brad Stevens uh, a little bit uh, (laughs) about the state of the offense last year. Uh, And yeah, the general vibe that I came away with is that, you know, we'll have to see how it looks on the court, but so far so good udoka seems like he has a really poised and incredibly confident demeanor about him and uh i think he's going to be a really awesome fit for this team that's looking to kind of take the next step so good stuff
0: i want to talk about marcus smart after this i think that his inclusion uh, so prominently in the press conference was really interesting to me but i think you're right it's a little pomp and circumstance i don't know that we learned all that much, although it was, I'm sure many fans' first time really getting to know Udoka or as well you can from a press conference, anyways. And certainly in comparison to the press conference the Trailblazers just had, it. it's something to celebrate. It was, I think oh it left, I think it left everyone in Boston uh, feeling pretty good about that hire. And there, it was a little endearing. Udoka kind of started slow, a little uh, timid almost in his opening. Statements. I mean, he's a younger man. He's forty-three, I believe. Uh, but then, once he kind of had his wind in the sails, there was a lot of bravado, and you can you can tell that he means it when he says he's going to be kind of on the players' ass, to borrow his own phrasing, which I think is is really awesome. I think a culture of accountability and a little bit of toughness. I don't really love when the radio uh, thought jockeys or you know the Bill Simmonses of the world come in and try to tell a team ravaged by COVID that they need to play tougher, but I do look forward to seeing uh, a Celtics team with a little bit more gusto. So that's pretty cool, at least as far as I can tell. Uh, but yeah, I want to talk about Marcus Smart because his name keeps popping up and not in trade rumors, not in uncertain terms, but rather, hey, he was consulted on this, and hey, I see him as a, a pillar Uh Alex, I'll go to you. What do you think that signals about Marcus Smart's future and then also the expectations for next season?
1: Um, I think it signals that, uh, and we kind of have discussed this in previous episodes, that um, a Marcus Smart extension is a lot more likely than a Marcus Smart trade at this point this summer. Uh, And I don't think it necessarily means that Marcus Smart is untradeable going forward. Um, but I do think that it means that for at least next season, Marcus Smart is going to be on this team, and I think he's going to be considered an essential part of it, which, again, just kind of leads back to you know my opening night prediction that barring anything drastic and assuming Celtics free agency plans go roughly as they're hoping, I really think Marcus Smart, Evan Fournier, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Al Horford is going to be your opening night starting lineup. Uh, And I think it's a worthwhile endeavor because, you know, frankly, the Celtics these past few years have gone through a ton of different changes at the point guard position between Kyrie Irving, Campbell Walker, um, you know, even Terry Rozier for Bruce And the one kind of constant throughout that has been that Marcus Smart um, has played a lot, but he's never really been considered the guy to be the starting point guard for the Boston Celtics um, without another like caveat of like, he's holding down that spot until Kemba Walker comes back from injury or some such thing. And I think, you know, Marcus Smart is what? He's 26 now at a certain point. You kind of need to see what you have there, whether Marcus Smart can be the starting point guard for a championship level NBA basketball team. I think now's as good a season as any to try it out. So I would say, if anything, it seems to me, you know, obviously coach speak, GM speak, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt because stuff changes really fast. You never know who's available. But I I really think you're looking at a highly likely possibility of Marcus Smart starting point guard for the Boston Celtics next year.
0: Yeah, and I actually don't think Boston needs a first point guard like Rondo or Connolly like a real quarterback of the game I think Jalen and Jason need to get a little bit better at playmaking and I think that they uh, will I think they both have the chops and aspirations to do so and then you have four or five playmakers on the floor at all times so I actually don't know that Marcus Smart needs to change his game that much and I said this before I think he'll really enjoy getting guaranteed touches that might actually calm him down in a way in a way that I think would be really beneficial. I'm going to blitz you, and Justin's staying muted because he's having some background noises, but I'm going to put him on the spot because I can't help myself. With uh, all this talk of point guards in Boston, all this talk, I mean the talk that Alex and I just created for ourselves, will Damian Lillard ever play for the Celtics, and should the Celtics aspire to go get Damian Lillard? Justin. Justin.
2: So there is actually a really good argument for bringing on Damian Lillard if you really think that what you're going to have left is going to be good enough to win a title. But if it isn't, you are going to be stuck at some point paying $50-plus plus million to Damian Lillard with very few tools to rebuild with. Probably you have traded away picks into the future beyond when Jason Tatum is guaranteed to be here. You're putting a lot of eggs in the basket without a really clear picture that it's definitely going to get you where you need to go. So for me personally, being the conservative uh, imaginary GM that I am, I would not do it, but uh, there is a good argument. I would say no. I think that there's going to be better offers out there as well. I mean, there's a lot of people who think that we can field the best offer. I don't necessarily agree with that. No way.
0: Absolutely. Yeah,
2: (laughs) exactly. It depends on what Portland wants, first of all. And it also depends to a certain extent what what Lillard wants because even if things do go sour, I do believe that he will have at least some say in where he goes. I don't think they're just going to offload him to wherever they feel that they can get the best deal. I do think that for the fans who still like him, I do think that they're going to try to at least put him in in a place where he would prefer to be or at least will accept being rather than wherever they can get him off to. Sure. Alex,
0: what do you think?
1: I largely agree with Justin. I definitely think that um, the Celtics, and I am so guilty of this as a longtime Celtics fan, but we have a tendency to overinflate inflate um, how our players are valued around the league. I think Jalen Brown is pretty clearly uh, a high-value trade asset, but I also think that uh, to that point, Justin, there are a lot of teams that could reasonably cobble together as good or better offers than the Celtics have. Uh, In particular, the one that stands out to me is New Orleans. Um, They could make a serious run with the amount of picks and Brandon Ingram that they have to get Damian Lillard down there. And that, I think, would be both really cool and, frankly, quite plausible. Um, I I think that, you know, I I largely agree. If you're trading Jalen Brown and a lot of other stuff to get Damian Lillard... The reality is that unless you do an incredible job recruiting ring chasers uh, and vets to join your team at a low cost margin, you're probably not getting a title out of just Damian Lillard and Jason Tatum and a bunch of scrubs anyway. So I I am inclined to lean more towards keeping Jalen Brown and trying to open up possibilities for sign-in trades for other Potentially available superstars who may or may not be playing in the DC metro area in the <laughs> relatively near future. Uh, that that would be my preferred path. But here,
2: here.
0: Or perhaps change. the Salt Lake City metro area. Yeah, yeah. in t- 2024 25, Damian Willard will be owed $48.7 million. And that will be around when Jalen, if he was still on the team, and Jason, if he's still on the team, would be looking to re up or experiment would be falling apart, and I, A, I don't think that the Celtics have the best package. B, I don't think that they should want to trade Jalen Brown, certainly not for Damian Lillard, and frankly, I don't think Damian Lillard, a point guard in his 30s who doesn't play defense, is what the Celtics need right now, so uh, I will say this, it is probably a good sign that the Celtics have gone from what are they going to do to let's come up with a way for them to land any superstar imaginable because uh, just a few weeks ago, I think there was a lot of hand wringing about how the Celtics would possibly proceed with their uh, roster situation moving forward. And now suddenly they're in the sweepstakes just like everyone else, which is probably not true, but it's a nice change of pace. So, uh, sorry to all the Dame Willard fans out there, but he's not coming to Boston. And if he does, it's probably a mistake. Uh, We're going to move over and chat with Anna Horford in just a moment, but let's round out kind of the news surrounding the Celtics. Uh, Mr. Horford is going to wear number 42. Moses Brown is going to wear number nine. And there's some news surrounding assistant coaches. Justin, can you kind of fill us in on what's going on with the assistant coaches? Or rather, can you just tell us what's happening? And Alex has a few things he'd like to share.
2: Well, we did see them bring in Will Hardy uh, from – an earlier era of Udoka's, uh, excuse me, Udoka's, I got used to saying his name properly, his career with the San Antonio Spurs. It's looking like Jay Laranega is not coming back. He, he's tried for the head coach a couple of times now, not got it. Uh, I understand why he would not want to come back, but there's also a potential candidate that's on the radar. I think Alice could give us a little bit more info about.
1: Yeah, this is a fun little wrinkle that uh, Woj just dropped out there. But apparently Ime is pursuing um, Damon Stoudemire for a possible assistant coach gig, which I think would be really fun. Uh, Damon Stoudemire is a former NBA player who won Rookie of the Year back in where, uh, in 1995 when he played for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, He did a stint with the Portland Trailblazers, uh, where he apparently won a lot of fans over there, as well as with the Memphis Grizzlies and the San Antonio Spurs. He's been an assistant since 2008, uh, both at the college level and at the NBA level, particularly with the Memphis Grizzlies, most notably. And uh, his nickname is, for those who don't know, Mighty Mouse for his quality basketball play and diminutive stature. So uh, that could be a fun little wrinkle to see. Damon Stodemeyer on the staff and uh, I think that would be an enjoyable hire.
0: Yeah, we'll check back in. There's going to be some changes to the coaching staff for sure and we're not really sure what those look like, but we do know that Al Horford is indeed headed to Boston. And so on the other side of this break, we are going to welcome in his younger sister, Anna, to talk about a whole bunch of stuff in this Celtics lab. So we will see you on the other side of the break. Alright, and now we're welcoming in Anna Horford, the younger sister of Al Horford, back to Boston and onto the Celtics Live podcast for the first time. Anna, welcome to the podcast.
3: Hi, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to talk with you guys.
0: Yeah, the the pleasure's truly all ours. Uh, You probably know Anna from Twitter. You probably know her from sharing a resemblance from Al Horford, which is a high compliment. And she's also the host of the Happy Hour podcast, is that correct?
3: Yes, host of the Horford Happy Hour podcast.
0: Okay, well, first things first, tell us about it, plug the podcast.
3: Yeah, so um, Horford Happy Hour is a podcast I started a few years ago, um, got with a network out of Boston, you know, my favorite city. So uh, the CLNS Media Network in Boston um, picked up Horford Happy Hour, and I've just kind of been rolling with it ever since. And you can um, check it out on iTunes or basically anywhere that you can listen to podcasts.
0: Yep, certainly the second best podcast out there. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we love the CLNS homies, so definitely check it out. Uh, So Anna, we're going to ask you things that I'm sure every fan is aware of, kind of your relationship with your brother, your relationship with Philadelphia, and all sorts of stuff like that. And then we'll also talk a little bit about some of the bigger picture stuff going around the league. Uh, So first, talk us through, uh, you kind of in other podcasts gave your initial thoughts, but now that the dust has settled, Where's your mind at for the Horfords' return to Boston? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for the family? What does it mean for Al?
3: Yeah, so we're all extremely excited, which I feel like is a given. I mean, if you saw my tweets, our siblings' tweets, and um, Al's posts on social media, you can tell like we're really excited to be heading back to Boston. Um, Something else that I'm kind of feeling, I'm a bit anxious. Um, just to kind of get back in the swing of things. And um, hopefully, you know, we'll have a COVID-ish free season. And, you know, there's just a lot that goes into it. And so, but mostly we're excited. We're really looking forward to being back at TD Garden. We're looking forward to interacting with the fans again. Um, It's going to be really great.
0: So I have a question. And if you know the answer, but you don't want to say anything, you don't have to. It seemed like Al posted on social immediately. He had that really nice Instagram that went up really fast after the news broke. Do you think he knew that this was in the works in an advanced stage, or do you think he found out like the rest of us?
3: I mean, he obviously there was some hope that he'd be heading back to Boston. So I think that was always on the back burner. So it was never really like too far from anyone's minds. And I mean, we're just happy that they were all able to seal the deal essentially. And um, so yeah, now he's back.
0: Cool, I love that. Yeah, uh, we're happy to have him, Alex.
1: Uh, Anna, thanks so much for coming on the pod. And I have a question less about um, basketball and more about just like life and experiences in Boston. Where is Where are the spots that the Horfords, uh, the Horford crew generally like to hang out in the city after home games, things like that. If you could let us in on some of, you don't have to tell us all of them, but maybe one or two.
3: Yeah. Well, Al's a big homebody. So a lot of the times he likes to go home after games um, and have dinner. But if we are going out, one of our favorite, favorite spots is De Parma and it's a little Italian spot. I believe there are two of them in Boston. like so good so so good the location that we go to also um has a Dominican chef and we're Dominican and so um you know he and Al will chat a bit and stuff and um basically I mean I personally love the north end uh just in general for food and um great for Italian food especially uh not so much after games but we really love um in a pickle uh for like brunch and stuff um and yeah i mean i'm sure i could name a million places that i'm just not thinking of off the top of my head but those are a couple that we really like
0: cool love that love the north end so it sounds like the horford Horford family yourself included obviously is pretty pumped about this trade but you've been on the other side of trades or moves that maybe weren't. Uh, as exciting or were a little more emotional. Just as someone who's more NBA adjacent than the average person, what's something that you think fans either don't understand or maybe kind of miss when we talk about the game, when we talk about players, when big life events like being traded to a new city happen?
3: Yeah. I think the number one thing is just remembering that these guys are just like you and me and they're human and they have emotions and they have feelings and you know they're valid so it's not easy for anyone to just pack up and move but then you think about like a lot of these players have kids who are in school and they have wives who have made friends and you know family who's made friends and so i think just like humanizing these guys is really important and just recognizing that um that yeah their thoughts and feelings and struggles are completely valid
0: al has two young kids is that correct Four. Four? Oh, i was way
3: off what is he like as a dad yeah. oh my gosh he's like one of those people who was put on this planet to be a dad like it is his bread and butter the kids are his pride and joy um they're all like best friends and they're all like you know obsessed with al he can't wait to get home to them you know every day and stuff and and they're all really really close and um, his oldest son, Ian, especially loves going to all the games. He sits down, like, as a little kid and, like, will sit through entire games and, like, analyze them and break them down. And, um, you know, he's got, like, three dunks already, like, in his arsenal. So, uh, so he's ready. He's ready, man. It's great.
0: And are you the cool aunt? Are you the tough aunt? Like, where do you see yourself in the aunt pantheon? We pronounce it aunt in Boston. You might hear it as aunt people who
3: aren't familiar yeah no I mean obviously I'm the cool ant yeah. um <laughs> and uh yeah so I mean that's the goal right is to be like the cool ant who's like in a corner with like a glass of wine like slipping like 50s and 100s to your nieces and nephews and just like go go have a good time go go spend it can't do that quite yet because they're so little but yeah definitely the cool ant for sure
0: yeah I'm going to be the cool ant but as a uh... As a teacher, maybe not 50s and 100s, maybe like 10s and 20s. Uh, (laughs)
2: I'm
0: going to ask you a question about the X's and O's, and I'm wondering if you've talked to Al about this. Uh, Do you think he still wants to play the power forward, play the forward? Do you think he is more open to playing the center? Um, And do you think his view on being a mentor has changed since his time in Oklahoma City? I mean, he was already such a leader for Boston, but he's just that much uh, older and more seasoned. So do you think... He still wants to play the power forward first is my question. Second, where do you think he sees himself in the locker room?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think Al is obviously he's very capable of playing the power forward or center. Um, I think he's going to do whatever the team needs him to do. So he's going to, you know, help out wherever he can, whether that's power forward or center. Um, He's not the kind of person to nitpick over that stuff he just is more like about the win at the end of the day so whatever he can do to help the team I think that's what he's going to focus on um, as far as being a leader that's something that's always come really naturally to him ever since high school and college you know back-to-back championships at Florida and if you ask any of his coaches or teammates or anything they'll all tell you the same thing that's just the kind of person and player he is so I think he's very very comfortable in that leadership role.
0: I think the Celtics are incredibly lucky to have him in that role. Uh, you said coaches. It's a great segue. So the Boston just hired Ime Udoka to be the new head coach, who was uh, two seasons ago with Philadelphia when Al was there. Do you know much about the relationship they have um, and what's kind of your impression of Udoka uh, and what he brings to Boston?
3: Yeah, I'm not too familiar with their relationship um as in like he and al's relationship um i know al like really respects him um as a person and as a coach and i hear really great things about him um just like buzz here and there um but you know i don't know that much about him i know he worked for um under popovich for a while and um then he was like also in philly when al was in philly um, but any, I mean, anytime you're, work, you're a coach and you get to work with Pop, you're probably going to learn some really, really great things. So, I mean, I just am excited only because I see how excited the guys are, especially the young guys like Jalen and Jason. And, um, you know, being vocal about how stoked they are on him. I think that's a really, really good sign.
0: Uh, I have a two-parter. First, his wife is Nia Long. If you meet her, what are you gonna say? And second, I mean, you've been around the NBA as long as Al has. Is there has there been a celebrity interaction or an NBA celebrity interaction that you were a little starstruck? Um, I'll tell you, when I used to cover the game in person, CC Sabathia was walking the back halls once I, I, for reasons I'm not sure, and I was so blown away. I, <laughs> which is weird because all the NBA players were around, but that felt normal. Yeah. I think because CC was out of context. So that was the most mm-hmm. starstruck I ever was. So are you gonna say anything to Nia Long if you meet her? And do you have a story maybe from a couple of years ago where you met someone and you were just blown away?
3: Yeah, so if I, or if or when I see Nia, um, I'll probably see her around like the family room and stuff. Usually um, we would see like Brad's coach in there or Brad's coach, Brad's wife in there and whatnot. Um, so if I see her, I'm gonna be like, how do you wake up so beautiful every day? Okay. What is it like being an actual goddess? Um, you're stunning. Go green. Like, go Um, And then as far as, like, celebrity interactions, I'm trying to think. I met a lot of people. Um, sure. I feel like because we grew up around NBA players and, like, our dad played and, you know, um, Al's been in the game for a while um, – we're kind of used to it, so I don't think I really get starstruck around anyone. I just kind of meet people like, hey, what's up? How's it going? You want to take some shots? You want to do this? Like, you know, just like try to keep it chill. Because um, a lot of people, you know, I think appreciate like when you don't put them on a pedestal. Oh. Um, but I can say I'd like a really weird interaction with 2 Chainz, um when Al was in Atlanta and he was kind of rude. Oh, and- interesting. Yeah and like it almost made me like like and we got a picture together and stuff and like um just like chatting a little or whatever but like I don't know like I almost like wanted to like just be like uh never mind i'm going to delete this and like tell him to his face he was just like kind of like too cool for school or whatever and i was like yeah all right buddy like cool that doesn't impress me so um so yeah he was like he was a little rude and i but I I wouldn't say that I've had like any other like bad experiences or starstruck experiences. Um, that's probably the only one that was like a little weird. I really
0: love that. Well, sorry that two chains was rude to. <laughs> uh, so two chains, if you're out there and you need to come on and defend yourself. Yeah, it, we'll might, you be
1: cause, it might be because it might because two chains was like a really good hooper in high school, and so he, he thinks he's on the same level or something. I don't
3: know. Just throwing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think he thought I was like. Um, Cause we were hanging out with like some of the players and stuff. And I thought, I think he thought I was like some random, like Jersey chaser girl or something. And like, didn't realize I was Al's sister. And then um, someone like tried telling him because he was like being rude. And they, and then he was like, who? And I was like, your franchise player. Like Al, like when Al was with the Hawks. I'm like, yeah, your franchise player, you're being a dick. You're not better than anyone. Chill out. So, um, but yeah, besides that, it's been all good.
0: Does Al have any, I mean, he seems like he is friends with everyone, but is a homebody, as you put it. Does he have any friendships either with players, past and present, or celebrities that would surprise people?
3: Ooh, that's a good question.
0: Like, what celebrity or NBA player is most likely to show up at the Horford Thanksgiving?
3: Oh, gosh. I don't even know. Probably, like, a a current teammate, if anyone was to. But, like, I don't know. I feel like I'm trying to think of someone like random and I, I can't, I think i just kind of tries to get along with everyone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's probably what I would imagine is most people, <laughs> if they asked, he would invite them to his Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah. So I'll see you. I'll see you this year. Um, perfect. <laughs> so you're back in Boston, the Horfords, or, well, the Horford family is, I don't know if you're, how much time you'll spend here. Uh, Al was in Oklahoma City, Philadelphia, and then Boston and Atlanta. And you've talked about in the past that each city has been a different experience, some more positive than others. Uh, and you recently said that you and your, your siblings almost wished the, exi- the trade into existence, coming back to Boston. You said it was like coming home. So first, what about Boston feels like home, given all the stops that Al's had?
3: I think just the environment in general, because Boston fans with our family like have been so kind and so like welcoming and they've just always embraced us from day one. And obviously Al has like haters out there. There's some people like in sports radio and stuff who don't like him and whatnot, but it just, I don't I can't even explain it we've just felt so comfortable in Boston um and yeah I don't know I, I think it's a combination of like the people and just the the city in general just feels just feels right
0: cool. I love that and let's go flip side of the coin and you can you could choose with how much uh honesty you offer here but some of the stops along the way that maybe weren't as positive. What do you think it is that made uh, some of those stops not so positive?
3: I mean, I think that Al going to Philly from Boston was tricky because Philly spent years absolutely hating Al and the Celtics. And they called it a rivalry even though, you know, (laughs) um, if you look at the games, it wasn't really a rivalry. Um, that's absolutely
1: uh,
3: right. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so I think they spent all this time and energy, like really hating the Celtics and, and, you know, Al was always such like a thorn in Embiid's side, especially and that. I think that really pissed a lot of people off. And so, um, when he moved over to Philly, I don't think people knew how to like, let him in. I don't think they knew how to embrace him. I don't think they, they even knew if they should be cheering for him. And so he never really, you know, he never really got that warm welcome that we got when we when we went to Boston.
0: I assume the people in OKC were just nice because they're middle America and everyone else. That's a great fan base.
3: <laughs> I will say like they are such a nice fan base and they were just so happy to have Al. And to have him be, like, a mentor for their extremely young team, they just had nothing but nice things to say. And it was just such, I think, a stark contrast from, like, Philly. Sure. And so I think that's why we appreciated them so much. And, and now that, you know, we're back in Boston, all is well.
0: Did you or anyone in your family, and you might not know what I'm talking about, ever stay at the – there's a hotel in OKC that's supposed to be haunted? Did you or anyone oh. in your family stay at that hotel?
3: Okay, I have heard of this hotel, but no, like, I haven't stayed there. I don't think anyone else in our family has because of COVID and stuff. Like, Yeah, fair. It was a weird year, but um, no, but I've heard of this hotel. Have you stayed there?
0: No, I've never been to OKC. Okay, I- oh, I'm okay. not one to worry too much about ghosts, but I'd love to check it out. So I'll keep you posted, maybe, if I ever go.
3: Perfect, yeah. Uh,
0: what about the organizations, do you think? was most obviously different, not just Boston and Philly or Boston and OKC, but kind of across the landscape. In what ways do they really show off what they're doing well, and what ways do they kind of show off what they're doing not so well?
3: I mean, I think that, like, in Boston, people really loved Brad and Danny, but Bostonians are never not going to be super critical, and so, um, you know, I always liked Brad and Danny, and and I know people, like, differ on their opinions of, like, the system in Boston, but I would say, like, their front office, at least with our family, has always been really, really great. Um, Philly, you know, I wasn't involved a lot. I didn't even go to a game in Philly because I was so, like, salty about the whole thing. I, like, obviously, like, I always support al no matter what but um i don't know much about what went down like in philly specifically um as far as you know um like their system and whatnot al just wasn't a good fit i would just say that like at the end of the day um and i mean okc they treated him very well they appreciated his professionalism and um you know al enjoyed being there so so i think that that says a lot
0: Right. I mean, the point you made earlier about these are people just like everyone else, you might join a company that is ostensibly a good company, but you might not be a right fit, and it's no love lost. So I think that that's pretty fair. Uh, kind of similarly, I want to ask you as a as a fan, uh, as someone who is in an MBA family, and then as a person of color, what your stance is on kind of the conversations we've been having about coaching and representation on the sidelines. So you know, for the past few weeks and months and frankly years, we've talked about hiring people that represent the communities that they coach in, represent the players that they coach. What do you think of the conversation, uh, how it has kind of played out more recently and specifically in a place like Boston? Uh, I don't know how familiar you are or were with some of the ways that we were talking about, Race in Boston after Kyrie Irving came to town, race in Boston during the coaching search, things like that. So, what's your kind of sense of these conversations as they played out and where we're at with them today?
3: Yeah, so I think that something that's not just basketball related, but something that is important in everyday life and in our world is that our world should be a reflection of the people who are a part of it. So, you know, we should have people of color in the highest offices. We should have people of color in law enforcement. We should have people of color um, in doctor's offices. We should have people of color who are coaches. Um, and I think with the MBA specifically, it's very important because think about, you know, um, how many black or black, players of color there are compared to white players. Um, I do think that uh, the coaches in the NBA, they should reflect the people they're coaching. Um, Obviously not every coach is going to have, or not every team is going to have a coach of color, but I do think it's important to have more than just a handful um, in a community that is so diverse. And I think that role has generally just been given to um, older white men because that's the status quo and that's the way it's always been, um, which is a lot of what America is doing in, in many different aspects. And you know, um, but it is important to to have representation and to have diversity, and um, it means a lot, I think, to the players of color as well, uh, because no one wants to feel like they're just being. Um, they're being used or they're being like, like I know some players have used the um, example of like, oh, we feel like animals in a zoo, you know, Um, people are cheering and jeering at us and they want us to perform for them and, and whatnot. And so I think when players see that they have opportunities beyond playing and that they are respected and that they are appreciated and, that they will have these opportunities. I think that's really important as well, just for, you know, like their mindsets in general.
0: Sure. I, I think that was really well said. Thank you for that. Um, and I want to switch gears. Unfortunately, there's another side of the NBA that I don't think uh, represents its constituents very well. And I think that that is how women fans or people who identify as women as fans kind of are treated And certainly women who are aspiring reporters or aspiring coaches. And the conversations around coaching uh, as of late have also been reflective of that. So I hate to put you on the spot again as another way that maybe the NBA isn't always representing uh, its people. But what is your sense uh, as a woman of not just how teams are hiring or uh, welcoming women behind the scenes but also as a woman fan online because I know a lot of your fandom is on Twitter where some really cool things happen but some really ugly things happen so I'm hoping you can give us a window into your thinking there
3: yeah so I think social media um is a really tangled web (laughs) there's good there's bad and women often get the short end of the stick because it's easy and because, like I said, hey, it's the status quo and, and whatnot. Um, so I think it is important to take women seriously. I think it's important to support women and to speak out. And um, I would say, like, the number one thing regarding that is that we need men to speak out. We need men. If, you know, if you see a woman being bullied on social media, stand up for her. Like, yeah, the guy's going to reply, oh, she's not going to sleep with you, man but Hey, at least at the end of the day, you did what was right. And you know, that you know, that woman (laughs) isn't going to be expecting that anyway. Um, and so I think it's important for men to speak out because once other men realize it's not okay to treat women like that, like that's when we're going to have progress. That's when things are going to get better. So women can't do it alone. We need allies. Like we need people to speak out and speak up and, you know, give us opportunities. We're more than capable. Um, I will say, I think this is probably a little controversial, but I've just from casual conversations I've had with players, um, not necessarily my brother's teammates, but our other brother, John, um, played, uh, D1 in college and he's played professionally as well. And I've spoken to some of his teammates and, as far as a woman head coach, obviously that would be amazing. That's something that we all want to see. But I just don't know if we're ready for it. Like, if, if society can handle it and have it still be, like, positive and productive. Like, obviously women are ready for it. But I don't know if we're ready for the backlash. And I don't know if players are ready to, to have a woman, unfortunately, um, be in a head coaching position. So so I think that, you know, over time, things will definitely get better and more opportunities will be available. Um, but I think it's just something that people, unfortunately, have to get used to.
2: I've been noticing that a lot of the times when these positions open up, they're for teams that aren't necessarily in the best position, and that just leads me to think of exactly what you're talking about, that as soon as a woman does get a head coaching position, it's going to probably be a rebuilding team or a team that isn't quite, you know, not, it's not going to be the Boston Celtics, which means that they are going to be really fighting, you know, not just to win, but to win as a woman. And mm-hmm. everyone's going to be pointing their finger, hey, look, look, what happens when you hire a woman? And That's a lot of pressure.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Uh, I, I mean, I think it will be a, an inflection point in sports, one that is a long time coming and maybe will mirror other kind of barriers being broken. I, I wonder if a younger team would be more uh, understanding or an older team, like I bet this Lakers team could do it because, you know, LeBron at the helm, there's such strong leadership. But I, I suspect, unfortunately, that you're right, that it's easier said than done that, Mm-hmm. It would take the right mix of players and assistant coaches. And I can't imagine a world where it doesn't have hiccups, but I hope to see that world sooner rather than later.
1: Well, uh, so. To that to that end, you know, I do just want to say, Becky Hammond obviously was considered uh, by all accounts for this Portland job before it ultimately went to Chauncey Billups. But, you know, I mean, I think whether people are kind of ready for it or not, the reality is that Becky Hammond has interviewed too many times and is too talented of an assistant coach to not get a head coaching gig, I think, within the next five years or so. Uh, so we'll have to see how that's going to play out. But I think, you know, it, it might be the case, Anna, that um, there's a lot of people who are not ready for it, but it is, it's happening sooner rather than later. And so if people are not ready for it, they have to get ready for it because it is coming.
3: So, definitely. Anna, we'll get you
0: out of here on this. First, I'm going to have you plug the podcast again, because people <laughs> should definitely go uh, and listen to it. I'm going to ask for your uh, cocktail of choice this summer, because it seems like you're someone who might have a thing or two to say about that. Um, I'll tell you that the strawberries in my garden came out uh, a little small, but they're going to go great in a mojito. So that's what I'm looking nice. forward to. Uh, And then I'm going to ask you about what you're looking forward to most this upcoming Celtics season. So plug the podcast, give us a cocktail, and what are you looking forward to this upcoming season?
3: Okay. So the podcast is Horford Happy Hour. It's on the CLNS media network. Um, You can listen on iTunes, uh, any major podcasting platform. And I just basically drink and talk. So enjoy Mm -hmm. that. Um, As far as a cocktail, I would say I love, a good red sangria in the summer, like a nice, rich, good sangria. So I would always uh, recommend that. It's like a nice summer cocktail. And then what I'm looking forward to most, um, well, I'm really excited to see the reunion between Al and like some of the guys that he was, you know, really close with. And I'm just looking forward to the journey. I think that we're going to be better than people will anticipate. Right. Um, I think, I, I am so optimistic. I'm having like the best like feelings, just like good juju about this team. Like I'm very excited. Um, and I think Al's really gonna contribute and help out a lot. We're just so excited to be back at TD Garden. We just can't wait. Cool,
0: fantastic. Uh, all right, well you're here first. Go pour yourself a glass of red sangria. Uh, If you need strawberries, I have extras. And, Anna, Mm -hmm. truly, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on. This was was fantastic. Yeah, thank you so
3: much. Thank you.
0: Cool. So, everyone else, we'll catch you next time.